Hey friends, welcome to the Addiction Nutritionist Podcast. I'm Kelly Miller, nutrition therapist, health and wellness recovery coach, and certified nutrition nerd. On this podcast, we talk about all things health and wellness and recovery. We talk about pause and nutrition for post-acute withdrawal syndrome. We talk about biochemical repair and amino acid therapy. We even get into food addiction. We want this platform to be your number one resource for creating health and wellness and recovery so you can stop self-sabotaging habits for good. If you're tired of feeling stuck and you're ready to take action and learn how to build healthy habits and recovery, this podcast is for you. When you recover well, there's just no oxygen for addiction to survive. Let's create wellness together and start today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Addiction Nutritionist podcast. I am so stoked to have my friend Jake Yoder here today as our guest. Um, We are going to get into so many amazing topics today. Jake has an awesome company and program that he has started, um, and we have such great topics to talk about today. But before we get into it, I'm going to introduce our food sponsor. As you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I reach out to my guests or co-hosts to find out what their favorite foods are. And then we pick one of those to talk about the healing properties of that food. And one of the foods that Jake picked was Asian pear. And I was really um, having a great time doing research on this um, fruit because it's not something that I eat. I'm actually allergic to pears and I had never heard of an Asian pear. So it was fun for me to look into the details of a food that I wasn't super familiar with. Um, so here we go. Asian pears are native to East Asia. I found out that they do grow in California, which is where Jake is, Santa Cruz, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So they must be local to you. Um, I think if you saw them in the store, you'd probably think they were an apple because they're shaped more. The ones that I saw were shaped more like an apple than an actual pear, kind of that roundish sort of shape. And one of their nicknames is apple pear. So they Mm -hmm. are very similar to apples. If you see them in the store, I guess they're usually covered in kind of like a little foam mesh wrap because they bruise easily. But the reason for that is really good. It's because they have a really high water content. So if you're listening and you're one of those folks that has trouble getting your daily water intake in, eating Asian pears will contribute to your daily water intake. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, They have all these different varieties called Shinko and Hosu and Korean Giant. But in America, if you see them in the store, they're probably just labeled Asian pear. I guess they taste a lot like an apple. They have a very like crisp taste. They're super juicy on the inside because all that water content and then a little bit of a grainy texture and the, the more ripe, the more sweet, right? Like any other kind of kind of fruit. Here's the nutrition benefits of an Asian pear. So many great benefits. So chock full of vitamin C, which if you've listened to me talk before, you know that that supports stress resilience as well as the immune system. Um, but really important for stress resilience, high in vitamin K high in potassium. If you're struggling with high blood pressure, you know, you need to eat a lower sodium diet, but most people forget you actually need to increase your potassium intake really important for blood pressure. Um, it also has a really decent amount of copper, which is also really good for your immune system. One of the things that I um, found that I love about this is that, um, it's great for blood sugar balance, which is one of the main things that we talk about in, you know, nutrition for recovery. That is a huge topic is learning how to balance your blood sugar. So this can be one of those fruits that can provide you with uh, some of those benefits, high in antioxidants, 
can help lower cholesterol, has anti-inflammatory properties. They're also great for constipation. So Jake, I don't know if you've ever used them for constipation before, (laughs) but that's one of their amazing benefits. If you're in recovery from opiates, for instance, you, or you're on Suboxone, you might still be struggling with a lot of constipation. Those are really known side effects for those um, drugs and medications. And so you may want to start looking around for the Asian pears in your store. Um, I don't know if you know this, Jake, I'm curious if you have heard about this. One of the things I came across when I was researching this is that they did a study on Asian pears specifically to show that if you drink seven and a half ounces of Asian pear juice before you drink alcohol, it reduces hangovers. Have you heard about this? No, I never knew that. (laughs) I thought it was interesting (laughs) because I was like, most of our listeners are probably not drinking but they might still be drinking or they might be the spouse or the partner or a friend of a loved one who's in recovery and they're listening to, you know, gain information. So if you are still drinking, uh, not that I encourage drinking in any way, um, this is something that you can do. It, the way that it works is that it, it enhances the enzyme activity that helps us to metabolize and eliminate alcohol. So they tested the blood alcohol, um, or excuse me, the blood acetaldehyde, um, levels of people that were drinking and noticed that it massively reduces that toxin. Um, which as you know, the acetaldehyde is the, is the, the metabolite from alcohol. You want to get out of your system as soon as possible. Cause that's the one that creates the oxidant, the oxidative damage. So yeah, that was a little interesting side note. And the last thing I'll say about Asian pears is they, they have a decent amount of fiber. There's four grams of fiber in one pear. Um, we're living in a country that's really struggling to get their fiber intake. Just this morning, I heard terrible news about this TikToker that I love who passed away from colon cancer. He was only 35. Um, his name's Randy. His little toddler's name is Bryce. And um, their their TikTok is the Enki boys. And they would do all these cute little skits. And I guess it's been known that he's had colon cancer, but he finally just passed. He was only 35. And so it, it, prompted me to look at these studies that came out just last year that show men in particular who eat the most ultra processed foods have a 29% increase in colon cancer. And we know that eliminating alcohol is one of the best ways to reduce risks for colon cancer, but also increasing your fiber intake. Those are super important things. We have so many men and women to an extent, but more men that are suffering from colon cancer in their twenties, thirties, and forties than ever before. So you need to eat your Asian pears. You need to get your fiber intake up. Super important stuff. Um, but I'm dying to hear Jake, how do you like to eat your pears? Wow. I knew I was eating Asian pears for a reason. <laughs> this is, thank you for the masterclass. I'm, I had no idea this would be such a learning opportunity. I'm even more excited for my next pair now. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, they're really, you know, it's hard to describe them. I, uh, it is kind of like a cross between a pear and an apple, but it's so much more than that. It really is something you have to experience for yourself. I usually slice them up because they're a lot of them are pretty big. Uh-huh. So I'll usually slice them up, you know, like you would cut up an apple mm-hmm. and I'll eat them in little, you know, slices. And they're so crispy and they're so sweet and almost, I want to say floral. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's unlike anything. And if people are trying to juice Asian pears to reduce hangovers, that's a great way to motivate yourself to stop drinking because these things are like 
four dollars a pop. <laughs> I, I, I cannot imagine what a eight ounce glass of of Asian pear juice oh my might gosh. might cost, or how one even acquires that. But super interesting to know. Wow. Well, now you're probably even more motivated. Um, do you eat the? Do you keep the peel on when you eat them? Yeah, the peel is it's like an apple, but less even less thick than an apple skin. Yeah, I was reading that you should eat the pe- eat the peel and you should store them in the fridge. So, um, all right, people, eat your Asian pears. Um, okay, I would love to formally introduce my guest today, Jake Yoder. Jake is a motivational speaker and life coach who has helped thousands of people around the world transform unwanted patterns and addictions into new healthy habits by learning to activate the natural reward system. We're going to talk about that a lot today of the brain and body. Jake works with many individuals who who have at some point in their journey felt stuck with marijuana or alcohol consumption that don't that don't serve their highest purpose and utilizes holistic health and mindfulness to help others create a sober life. They love. I love that. In addition to teaching spiritual and practical tools, Jake often helps others in the sober community, find a sense of purpose, start their own businesses and monetize their passions. You can learn more at natural highs recovery on Instagram and TikTok, and natural which is your website. Um, before we wrap up today at the end, we'll talk a little bit more about the best way for people to reach you and your program inner ascent. Um, we'll, we'll have a chance to talk about that. So I'm, I started following you a while ago. So I was really on Instagram. Um, but I was just a lurker. Like I was just checking out your stuff and I was like, man, this guy's doing some really cool stuff. Your content is really good. Your videos are so um, impactful. Like I remember watching one where you rode your bike down to the beach and you had two cups and I forget what was in the cups, but they were two different drinks. One, I think one was a hot drink and maybe one was a cold drink, but you were just talking about, um, doing little things like that to like increase your, you know, your feel good hormones. And so I was so excited when you reached out to me, um, to talk about your program inner ascent. And then we got connected and, um, I'm just like, so stoked that you're in like my inner circle now and I can like send you audio messages and questions when I'm feeling stuck about something. So I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about why did you develop Natural Highs Recovery? What's the story behind that? Thanks so much. Yeah. And I'll just say thank you so much for having me and for everything you've contributed. Um, I know we'll we'll talk more about the, the program, but it's just been such a pleasure being connected. And now I get to be here um, which is an honor, and the story of Natural Highs is is basically that I personally went through an experience of addiction. It started pretty early in my life when I was 14. I got exposed uh, through family and close friends, older, they were older than me, uh, and basically cannabis came into my life and it came through channels that I trusted and I didn't know any, I really didn't know much about it. You know, I would say that at that time, based on the, based on the, the dare officer who came into our school once in fifth grade and showed us videos of gang violence, uh, and, and whatever other rhetoric I had heard, in my life at that point about drugs, the the general message was drugs are bad. 
the other general message was that all this stuff that I had seen that was adults were saying was associated with drugs, right? Like gang violence and all this other stuff just didn't seem to be anywhere in sight. When I looked at cannabis and who was using it and these people that I trusted and it just didn't seem like what I had been told was true at all. And I personally, my system, my body interacted with the cannabis plant very favorably, meaning when I first used it, I loved it. It did not have adverse effects on me. It had desirable effects. And there was no, nothing to keep that in check because the belief, the rhetoric around me coming from family, friends, uh, people I trusted was that cannabis was not addictive. Cannabis was not harmful in any way. Cannabis could not give you cancer. Cannabis could not kill you. And just generally that it makes you feel good and there's no reason not to do it. And with that mindset, I rocketed myself into daily use of cannabis. Um, my entrepreneurial side kicked in. I started selling it, which meant I had unlimited access. And from there, the addiction journey started. From 14 to about 19 years old, I was almost 20 when I first got sober. In that six year time period, I progressed in my addiction. I started to use alcohol in in you know ways that were off balance. I started to smoke tobacco, which is something that I never thought I was going to do. I started to use lots of psychedelic drugs that were also kind of rippling out right from the from the era of the, the 60s and the Grateful Dead, it was like me and my friends were, were little seeds that, that kind of came from just after that whole cultural uh, movement was sort of had, had crested. Um, and there was this sort of rhetoric around marijuana and psychedelics that they were all about love and sharing and connection and they were associated with those things. Mm. And I can't tell you that there wasn't love and sharing and open-mindedness in the air because there was, and there were some beautiful times and, and the whole thing is kind of so confusing because there was all this good. And I really do truly feel that I was around good people, not bad people. I wasn't hanging out with people that would, want to hurt me in any way. Um, and yet we just didn't really have the correct information. Mm. So, and, and we, and I didn't realize, I just didn't know about addiction and what that was and, and that that was a, a thing that was happening to me. And basically by the time I sort of started to wake up, realize that I had progressed to doing prescription pills that weren't prescribed to me. I was using more and more different substances, trying to 
co-regulate regulate myself with with substances outside of myself mm. and I had I was crossing these lines and I started to see friends that were around me go into darker and darker places people were starting to pick up harder drugs like heroin and I just reached a point in my life where I realized that I needed to make a change mm. and luckily I had fallen in love around the same time that I that I had started heavily using uh, marijuana about maybe a year maybe a few months into it I had also discovered rock climbing mm. and almost by accident we were we were sitting around one day we were stoned we were totally bored and I was talking with my my sister, my older sister. We would hang out all the time, and her boyfriend at the time. And I was like, "What are we gonna do today? Let's let's just do something random." I said, "I just I felt this burst of inspiration." I said, "Let's just do something totally random, like I don't know, ice skating or rock climbing or something." And we all kind of perked up. We were like, "Hmm." rock climbing for some reason it just felt like a novel idea that might be fun so we went and all three of us loved it and we started going like we couldn't wait to go back and we started going was this indoor or outdoor it was out it was indoors at that point i was living okay. in connecticut oh okay yeah, i was in connecticut and there's not there's not all that much outdoor rock climbing in connecticut mm -hmm. although there is some uh so we we loved it and it stuck and basically my mom caught on to the fact that I like rock climbing and she also caught on to the fact that I was becoming a total pothead mm. so one summer she said uh, she found she had found this outward bound course and outward bound is like this amazing organization leadership organization that takes people out into the wilderness in all kinds of ways and she said, hey, Jake, what do you think about doing this Outward Bound course? And I said, I basically, in, in, in different words, I said, no, thanks, mom. I'd rather stay home and smoke pot with my friends, <laughs> right? It's like, that's what was going on for me. I was like, no, I just want to hang out this summer, right? And she said, but Jake, look, check it out. They've got outdoor rock climbing. If you go on this course, you get to climb on real rock in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina, in the, in the Appalachian Mountains. And that caught my eye enough that I said, okay, sign me up. It was three weeks long. And I came back from that experience. We did, we did backpacking. We did rock climbing. We did whitewater kayaking. Mm -hmm. Three weeks in the wilderness. And I came back from that experience. I, it, it was like I was in love. Mm. Like unprecedented feelings of adoration and love and discovering who I am is mm. what I came out of that experience with. I remember coming back and, and saying to my mom, how can I, how can I help? 
we need to we need to assign teams family roles you know who's going to do the dishes on what day and it was like i had done something so difficult in the on that trip that i came back and i felt like i could do anything and it wow. was the first it was the first time that i had been not using cannabis because i didn't use cannabis for that whole 3 weeks and we were constantly exercising and i just felt incredible and i came back not really wanting to use cannabis again but we have one problem same environment same mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. and i didn't really have the wilderness anymore right i had high school in trumbull connecticut <laughs> you were still in high school at that time mhm mm i want to ask you two quick questions before you keep going the first one is is you've used the word addictive many times now. And you stated when you were a kid, you were led to believe that marijuana was not addictive. Do you now believe a marijuana marijuana is addictive? Absolutely. Yeah. For many, many people. And, and in, in what sense? Because when we say addictive, some people will really combat against the physical addictive nature of it and say, well, it's just a little emotional addiction or, or, um, a psychological dependence. How would you describe the addictive properties of cannabis? It's absolutely a physiological and psychological addiction for many mm -hmm. people, um, just like anything else that would be called addictive is. Mm -hmm. it, the physiological dependency that gets created is perhaps not as severe, we could say, right. as alcohol or opiates, for example, but it is definitely there. And I've had clients who vomit daily when they stop using marijuana. I've had clients who just cannot sleep when yeah. they stop using marijuana. There's totally physical withdrawal symptoms mm -hmm. and there's totally well-documented mm -hmm. chemical dependency in mm -hmm. terms of what happens to your dopamine and your reward system. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause that's, that's the information piece, right? And I want to ask you one more follow-up question because we, we have a lot of parents that are going to be listening. I'm a parent, so many parents out there and maybe this might be too personal, but I'm curious if you could go back, if your mom had had like a zero tolerance policy, do you think that would have helped at all? Or if there was anything when you were younger in those teenage years that would have helped prevent you from kind of going down that road as far as you did? Mm, really good question. Um, I had a lot of freedom for the most part. My My parents cared a lot about me, but they weren't watching like hawks yeah like some people's parents but i had friends who had those hawk parents and they would still sneak out and 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 buy weed from me and we would you know we would toke up right <laughs> um and i saw the the kids struggle whose parents they had strained relationships with their parents so i think for me having a a good relationship there was some strain there because they didn't want me to smoke and they mm -hmm. they made that clear um and what they ended up doing is saying you know you basically we can't we know we can't control you we obviously don't want you to smoke but what we can say is you're absolutely not allowed to do it here yeah. at our house like we're not we're not hosting that right and I broke that rule and I, and I snuck out and I, I basically still used just as much, mm -hmm. um, in secrecy. 
So I, I, w I wish I had a clear answer. I think it's very difficult to control. I would prioritize having a loving relationship with your children where they can keep you informed about what's going on as much mm -hmm. as possible. And I would recommend trying to get into what my mom did is very smart, very mm -hmm. smart. She looked at it from what, what would he actually, you know, what's the bait that would actually get him to bite. And the result of that is she planted a seed that I think later on saved my life. Oh, amazing. That's so powerful. I think that, I think that little bit that you just shared right there is going to be really helpful to parents because there, there is no, oh, let me look it up in a book. Here's the answer, right? Here's exactly what I do to prevent my kids from using drugs, marijuana, drinking. It's, it's messy. It's complicated. But I think you hit the nail on the head. It's really all about creating an environment in your home where they have an open door policy with you, prioritizing your relationship with them, educating them and, and hoping for the best. <laughs> so thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. So that experience that you had, you know, I'm assuming somehow led you to to get into the, the business of doing what you do now, the coaching and the education around helping other people through natural highs recovery. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you started that business. And then I really want to get into like, what is a natural high, right? Um, I know what this is. I, you, you know what it is, but how would you describe this to people? And I'm, I'm just so excited to hear about, it's so like, it just makes my heart burst when I think about it, because I think for years I had no idea what that was. And I, when you were talking about experimenting with different drugs and co-regulating, it made me feel like whack-a-mole. You know, it was like, today I've got anxiety. What am I going to whack that with? Today mm. I've got depression. What am I going to whack that with? And it's a, and when you are caught up in any substance or multiple substances, it feels like a game of whack-a-mole. I got to grab this to address this. And when you transition into, you know, away from substances and into learning the amazing benefits and the feelings that you get from a natural high, the whack-a-mole stops. Mm -hmm. it, it's so freeing and amazing. And so I just, I can't wait to hear your take on it and for you to share more about that. Totally. So excited. So yeah, basically you're correct. That, that experience planted a seed for me. I felt better than ever. I realized that there was a, something I was really interested in doing other than smoking pot and doing, doing drugs. Right. Um, and I think this is an important piece of it. Up until that point, the biggest adventures of my life had come from doing things like LSD or mushrooms and smoking lots of cannabis and having those psychedelic experiences, I would say. Um, they were the most novel and they were the most uh, intense. And I'm an adventurous person, so I was seeking that out. When I went into the mountains, it topped everything. It was a bigger, more extreme, more, I took away from that adventure in the mountains, a much greater sense of pride. Because when you take a drug, all you have to do is take the drug. I mean, let's be honest, you're not doing anything very impressive at all, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. Um, and when I came back from, you know, backpacking 10 miles a day, climbing, doing things I didn't think I could. Um, I just, 
I, it was clear to me that that adventure was bigger and better than, than any of the other ones. I sort of placed it higher up. And that became very important later because I did go back to using. Um, and then about five years, four or five years later, I was in college and finally reached my bottom. But because I had been climbing that whole time, I had something I knew I wanted to focus on. And I knew that if I stopped using, I could climb better and I could climb more. Mm. And that was so motivating for me. And it played a huge role in my recovery. And I also went to 12-step meetings and found a uh, coach to work with and had other forms of support. But I don't think that I would have been able to do it, or at the very least, I don't think it would have been so uh, enriching. And I, honestly, it was fun for me. I had a great experience of giving up weed because there were, immediately there were benefits for me in my climbing. Mm. And I just, I knew how powerful that was in my life. And I knew I needed to share it with other people. And that's basically how Natural Highs evolved. Mm. It's the desire to share that the power of a recreational therapy, mm -hmm. so to speak. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 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 So if you could talk, I would love to hear you talk more about, you know, some of the, like the neurochemistry, right? Like what effects are you getting from, for you, it's rock climbing for somebody else. It might be mountain biking or just hiking or, you know, all, all different types of things that you can do outside. What's happening inside of you? And how does that compare to drugs and alcohol? Great question. So when you do things that are activating the natural reward system of the body, so um, I'll, I'll make a distinction here between substance-based highs and natural highs, where substance-based highs are you take a drug and it essentially tinkers with your reward system. That's why people take drugs. Mm -hmm. They release dopamine and a whole host of other chemicals that have desirable effects, right? Until they don't. <laughs> Until uh, they don't, yeah. <laughs> but with, uh, with the natural highs, which are highs that activate the endogenous systems of the body, meaning the inherent reward systems of the body, they, what happens is we get all of the, the feel good resources that are within us. So we get dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, and we can activate our endocannabinoid system, which I'll talk a little bit more about. There are ways to activate all these things that feel great, that don't require us to take a substance and the, the benefit is that with a substance your body is sort of fighting against it 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 messes with the balance and then the body compensates mm -hmm. and ultimately that creates imbalance and that creates dependency mm -hmm. with the natural highs it's basically impossible to do that because you're operating within the natural parameters of your your body so what happens is you get all the positive effects without any of the negative consequences of drug use. Mm. And because you're activating the dopamine system, it, it works the same way as drugs do. They activate dopamine and you make 
it makes you want to repeat the behavior again. When you use the natural highs, and I'll, I'll go through a list of what some examples could be, but those natural highs activate dopamine just the same. So you also get that memory storage and that drive that you want to repeat the behavior. And for those of us that are prone to addiction with drugs, we're prone, we're just as prone to having that effect happen. I'm not going to call it addiction anymore when it latches on to something healthy. I think that people who are prone to addiction with drugs have an advantage when it comes to building healthy practices in a sense because we latch on to it. Mm -hmm. Our reward system is really good at telling us to do something again and again and again. Yes, I love that. We we are the adventurers. We are the entrepreneurs. Like and and you see this all the time with people who have done stints in jail and prison, you know, for drug dealing and stuff. And they come out and they start like an amazing, legit business because they're like, I just transferred that skill set that came to me naturally in my youth into a legitimate business. You see this all the time. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. A hundred percent. And I think business, athletics, uh, adventure, these are all arenas in in which we do have, I believe, a superpower as people who have been through addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, some natural highs would be, uh, you probably people won't be surprised to hear that exercise is a natural high, uh, meaning it releases dopamine and it boosts serotonin, endorphins, and it activates our endocannabinoid system which helps with stress modulation and helps us to regulate our mood and our energy levels. Uh, meditation can be a source of natural high, also possible to boost dopamine, serotonin, even with a short meditation or breath work practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, sunlight has positive effects on those feel good hormones movement uh, like dance uh, and music are also tap into those things. So there's all these things in life that activate dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins, and generally speaking, also have a positive effect on our endocannabinoid system. And the endocannabinoid system is the very thing that cannabis acts on. So when we use cannabis, the way that it gets you high is the THC binds to receptors that are all over the brain and body. And scientists actually did not know this until like the 80s, 90s. It's very recent. And what happened is that they were trying to figure out how marijuana gets you high. They didn't know. They knew that THC is the active ingredient that does it, but they didn't know how that works. And while scientists were exploring how THC gets you high, they ended up stumbling upon this massive, extremely important, nearly ubiquitous, meaning all over the the brain and body system that they called, they termed it the endocannabinoid system. They actually named it after marijuana and they named it after cannabis, Uh which, which happens a lot. Endorphins are named after morphine, similar story. They were trying to figure out how morphine works and they found out how, and they found out that the body produces a similar chemical on its own 
and they named that chemical endorphin, which means endogenous morphine. So that word endogenous, again, is it means natural and inherent to the body, basically. Yeah. And we have an endogenous cannabinoid system. So our body actually makes similar chemicals to THC. Mm -hmm. And just like anything else, my understanding is, is that your body down regulates production of your endogenous cannabinoids when you are using cannabis, correct? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when we're using a drug, typically our, our ability to access all these things naturally gets totally diminished, it just gets steamrolled because our body is compensating any with any kind of chronic use. Um, and when we free ourselves from that, the, the natural reward systems have a chance to rebalance. And luckily, that's exactly what they do. Mm -hmm. the, there's incredible resilience in the human body. And so when people quit cannabis, for example, in the first two th to three weeks and, and beyond, you know, it, it takes about 90 days perhaps for the neurotransmitters to fully rebalance. But there's massive shifts in in what people experience in how much joy they can get out of day-to-day -day life within two, three weeks of quitting cannabis because mm -hmm. their dopamine systems coming back online, their endocannabinoid systems coming back online. And mm -hmm. when we look at the endocannabinoid system, it has a huge impact on stress regulation and mood. And you can support that system through exercise and through food. Um, I think of, of food as, as kind of being a natural high also. Um, and I basically it's, it's health. I think of health. You can get high on health, basically. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I recommend that. It's a better drug than- Yes, we highly recommend. <laughs> highly recommend. Five stars. <laughs> yeah, it's just a better drug because it yeah. doesn't have the consequences and it has all the benefits. I, will, I run a, a nutrition for recovery detox group. It, it, it's, it's nutrition for people that are going through detox and in residential rehab. And just the other day, one of the guys in the group said, um, we were talking about Kiwis and how they have tryptophan in it, which helps turn into serotonin and melatonin. And you know how serotonin is the same thing we get from drugs. And he, it was so funny because he was like, so you're saying we can do drugs without doing drugs. And I was like, yes. Exactly. Exactly. I just, I was like, can I write that down? Cause that's really good. <laughs> you can get the same stuff from food, you know? Yes. Um, I just love this, you know, concept of using your own body's endogenous chemicals, because like you said, when you do that, it fits within the parameters and the framework of the way that your body and your brain was designed to work. Um, I had my own little experience with an outdoor high a couple of years ago that like completely changed my life. I have been alcohol free for four years now. And in the summer of 2020, my husband and I and our kids were invited on a six day rafting trip on the middle fork, um, or the salmon river in Idaho. And we went out into this like extreme, like it's, it's, it's called the Frank church wilderness. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's one of only like two actually designated wilderness spaces in the U S something like that. It's, it was incredible. I was absolutely terrified to go on that trip. Absolutely terrified. Cause I'd never been on a rafting trip before. And I did not know what to like, what it was going to be like. And I remember looking down 
when you go to get in the water, there's a plank and you push the rafts down the plank into the water. It's called the put in. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking down this plank and just thinking, this thing's a death plank. Like (laughs) everything that I'm afraid of is at the bottom of this plank, like dark, Mm -hmm. deep water, loss of control. I'm going to be on this river in the middle of the wilderness there. You were 50 miles from the closest road. If you got hurt, you had to helicopter in and helicopter out. Mm. I was about to be with 20 something strangers and I had to do this all sober, Mm. which normally if I had, if I was going to go on something like really new and like scary like this, I would for sure be drinking because Mm. that's what would take the edge off of that social anxiety and the fear and all of that. And I was just absolutely terrified. And that trip was the most amazing things. I got the most natural high from going on that rafting trip that I've ever experienced in my entire life. The company is called Middle Fork Adventures. If you are looking for an outdoor experience and you want to propel yourself into sobriety, I highly recommend it. I was already sober at that point. But the thing that I came out of that with was like, I did it. I did it sober. It felt like the most amazing feeling I'd ever experienced in my life because it was so scary, but I did it. And so I was kind of thinking about that when you were talking about rock climbing, because I can kind of think about like what it must've felt like when you first started actually putting in the work to get to the top and like the, maybe the fear and the anxiety you might've been feeling of like, am I going to make it to the top? Am I going to fall? Like what's going to happen? And then you get to the top and you're just like, ah! <laughs> you know, you feel like king of the world. And there's no drug on the planet that can do that for you. That's right. Yes. Because substance highs are induced and natural highs are achieved. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The substance highs, you can feel that they're, they're, it's, it's like they're synthetic, right? Cause they are. Yeah. So it's It's a fake reality. Exactly. So you're, you're pushing like an override button that's giving you all this stuff that really you're meant to have when you do things that are, that are great, you know, things that are meaningful, things that maybe would give you a deep sense of fulfillment. So with the substance highs, you never get the best part of what's actually possible from our reward system because the substance highs don't give you the payoff of the deep sense of fulfillment, accomplishment, and, and self-belief that natural highs will give you. That is so important. The deep sense of fulfillment. Drugs and alcohol create a dissatisfaction that you can never fill. You're, you're just constantly reaching for that feeling of like, what does it feel like to be satisfied? And you literally never achieve it because you need more, 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 more. You have a constant sense of dissatisfaction. And so you're right. You'll never be able to reach that deep sense of fulfillment. And once you have that, oh my gosh, it's life-changing. I was just talking to my kids the other day about the rafting trip. And it was funny because at the very end, they asked everybody to go around and share um, something good about the trip. And when it came to me, I was like, well, I just want to say, and I just started bawling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was going to happen, but I had this massive release of, of grief and, 
just it. I, and I was trying to get the words out to say how thankful I was for the experience because I knew in that moment it had changed my life. But my kids were like, well, I'll never forget when you embarrassed us because you just started crying and you were like, this changed my life. <laughs> they're like totally making fun of me because they're teenage boys and, and they'll never be able to fully grasp it. But I had that, like I did something I was terrified of. I fully, I fully embraced the awkwardness and the fear. Like so many people on that trip were looking at me like I was probably crazy. I was trying to grab my kids' life vest because I was afraid they were going to fall in. And I had this look on my face of sheer terror, you know, the whole time. But I embraced the discomfort. I embraced the discomfort, the fear, the anxiety. And I came out the other side of it going, I'm doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to go big next time. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the, yes, that's the beauty of natural highs. So again, I, I want to be really clear what natural highs are. It's, it's exercise, it's exposure to nature, mm -hmm. it's meditation, it's uh, it boosting your body's reward system through proper nutrition. And sometimes the really strong, strong ones are like extreme sports that might infuse with adrenaline. And, and so I just want everyone listening to know what these are and to know why you, you know, what you experienced, Kelly, and what I focus on in my work tends to be a really fantastic option for getting a natural high. Because you're talking about a rafting trip. I'm talking about climbing. And what these things do is they combine exercise, nature, and, you know, this, this sense of adventure, really. And so anybody that's that's thinking to themselves right now what is a natural high look like for me see if you can find one that combines nature and exercise because those two things if you can combine them in any way are two of the most powerful natural highs you can get combined into one activity and that's why you know this like rock climbing so transformative for me when i got to do it outside and the rafting trip was such a game changer for you, Kelly. And what these things do, ultimately where substances give us a high that we come down from, I think of substances as they, they don't just get you high. They get you high and then low. There's a high and then there's a low. There's a high and then there's a hangover. There's always a afterwards effect. And also you're not making any progress in your life. So on a on a deeper level they're not getting you anywhere in terms of actual progress that stays there mm -hmm. but the natural highs they don't just get you high and then low they only get you high and then they get you further along your path of who you want to be so rather than the come down from let's say alcohol or weed or the hangover the alcohol would be perfect example yeah you might feel good when you drink but the next day you feel like crap and the natural highs they feel great when they're happening and then afterwards they leave you with fulfillment and and a sort of an afterglow mm -hmm. rather than the hangover so it's like that's what's in place of, of, of a hangover. And that's why I think that these are just 
better options. I'm not even telling people to stop getting high. I just want you to know there's better ones out there. Yes. Seriously. <laughs> That's such a good point, right? Because sometimes it's just stepping out and trying something new, like, like an experiment. Nobody's saying you need to commit to any of this. Just try it once, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, I mean, on some level, I'm still just slinging dope, Kelly. I'm still just. <laughs> You're a hope dealer. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for clarifying that. Those are all wonderful examples of, of how to attain a natural high. Um, you know, and it's so it's free. It's, it's free. It doesn't matter where you live. You can figure out how to combine those things you talked about in an accessible way and a way that kind of piques your interest and your enjoyment. So it's available to everyone. You don't have to do a $30,000 program to figure out how to do get a natural high, right? Mm -hmm. One thing I wanted to ask you about today is I do come, I, you know, I really specialize more, um, in, in alcohol and I work with people that have done all, all drugs, but I really look to you as the expert when it comes to cannabis. Um, I do come across a lot of folks who have, you know, they started smoking weed really young and they kind of fell into that pattern of like, I only eat when I'm high because it stimulates, you know, I might go long periods with not eating and then I smoke and it really stimulates my appetite. And I, then I eat a ton of food and I feel really well nourished for a while. Do you have any tips for people that are looking to sort of find natural ways to stimulate their appetite? Um, so that they don't have to rely on the cannabis and kind of start developing those healthy eating patterns again. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is remember the acute withdrawals for cannabis typically last around two to three weeks. So right off the bat, just remember that this is not going to last that long. Mm -hmm. Your body will rebalance. Your appetite will come back. And it is not a super long withdrawal period. Mm. It's two or three weeks. And typically people start to feel improvements after the first few days, after the first week. So it's really, uh, it's, it's going to get better. So hang in there. That's the first thing I would say. In and that's even of, for people that have been smoking for years and years and years. You would say that yeah, for two the, to three weeks? For the most part, yeah, those symptoms rebalance after two, three weeks. I mean, there's been there's been withdrawal symptoms that are shown to last longer. That mostly sleep, sleep yeah. sometimes is is more of a lingering struggle. Uh, maybe four to six weeks. Um, and of course, if you had insomnia before you started using cannabis, then that might be a, a, a an issue that's still there. Um, and if you had problems with appetite before you started using cannabis, that's it could be an issue that's still there. But yeah, typically these these acute withdrawal symptoms will not last more than a month. And I know it's still hard to get through, right? Because when we have an appetite, it allows us to enjoy our food. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, if we're trying to give up cannabis and we're, we're not getting the pleasure of cannabis anymore, then it, it's a bummer. It's really hard to also not even be able to enjoy our food. It's like, where's the pleasure? Um, I would go back to exercise as the number one way to offset that because exercise does um, directly impact the endocannabinoid system and the endocannabinoid system does play into appetite. Mm -hmm. So basically you support 
your endocannabinoid system when you get 30 minutes to an hour of moderate to high intensity cardio. Ooh, that's good to know. Yeah. And you can do that. If you can do that three times a week, it will uh, definitely help boost your appetite. And what's really interesting that I want to mention about exercise also is there's been studies of, about exercise helping with stress and how exercise supports the endocannabinoid system. And the research suggests that it's not just exercise, it's exercise that you enjoy that will truly, truly bring the biggest stress relief. Because if you exercise and it's something that you have to force and you hate it, the body can actually store that as stress. Oh. But if you, if you exercise and you enjoy it, it, it's a massive benefit for stress relief. Mm. And it supports your endocannabinoid system a lot more. So this is why I really try to encourage everyone, all my clients and everybody that I talk to, to find a type of play that you love that involves movement. So shift the, the paradigm from I should go to the gym, I should exercise, right? That's what a lot of us think of, like, mm -hmm. oh, I should go for a run or should, go to the should. gym. Right. And if you're feeling that should right now, when you think about exercise, then whatever type of exercise you're thinking of, forget it. That's my challenge to you. Forget that type of exercise and look for a different one. It could be so many things. It could be rollerblading. It could be ice skating. It could be rock climbing. It could be swimming. Just go out there and start to try different forms of movement. It could be dance. I have never found anyone who was not able to find at least one form of movement that they actually like. And once you find that, it'll change the game of exercise. I was never good at discipline, and I still am not to this day. I would never have been into fitness if I hadn't found climbing and mountain biking and hiking and the things that I actually enjoy. The fitness is literally a byproduct of me going and doing what I want. Yeah. And uh, so that type of exercise, to get back to appetite, that's the type of exercise to look for to help you with all the withdrawal systems, including appetite symptoms, sorry, um, to, to help you with all the withdrawal symptoms, including appetite, and to help you with not only the acute withdrawal or the post-acute withdrawal, but to go beyond the entire uh, process of, of letting go of the addiction and to go into healthy patterns in your life that allow you to feel good naturally on a regular basis, finding just that form of movement that you actually enjoy will be tremendously beneficial for mm. your whole life. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I love, I love how you framed that. Cause if, I mean, if you think about it, like 
if you are starting some sort of exercise or movement, you're naturally going to be burning more calories. And so that naturally stimulates your appetite because your body's like, Hey, the output is higher. You know, I'm burning more calories than I normally am. So I'm going to need more fuel. And that alone really can end up stimulating somebody's appetite. That's such great advice. Um, it's interesting because I'm training for a marathon and I just noticed this last week I've I've been dabbling in running for a while, but now that I'm training for a marathon, I've got to run like four, you know, times a week and I got to get a certain amount of miles. And so my level of, of intensity has gone up a lot. Um, and I've always loved chocolate and chocolate doesn't control me, but I definitely will have cravings for it here and there. And I usually keep chocolate chips in the house and I just do a handful, but I have not been having any cravings for the chocolate chips since I started training. And I didn't notice it until I was like, you know, weeks in. And I was like, I'm not looking for the chocolate chips at all. And it's because all that extra running is stimulating my endorphins, which is very closely related to, um, foods that, um, release endorphins like chocolate. And so, uh, I don't know. Mm. It's just funny how there's so many natural ways to replace all of these things. And like, I know all this stuff and I just wasn't even being that self-aware about it, but it was funny to see that this week. Um, the last thing I really wanted to ask you about today, and maybe this ties into stuff that we've been talking about is you often hear about individuals who've used cannabis for their, their creativity. So whether that's people creating music, you know, artists doing sculptures or paintings or any other kind of creative endeavor, a lot of these folks have shared with me that they feel like the, the, the marijuana taps into some part of their brain that they feel they don't have access to already. Um, Mm -hmm. I recently had a gal tell me that she paints and she said she can clearly see the difference between the paintings she did sober and the paintings that she did high. And so I'm curious what advice you would have for those folks of what are some ways. And like I said, maybe this all ties into what we've already been talking about. I don't know, but what are some ways people can tap into their innate creativity? That's clearly already inside of them without using Mm -hmm. cannabis. Do you have anything to speak around that? A hundred percent. I love this topic. So I would ask that person if I were if I were speaking to her, how long have you been smoking? And how long have you been painting? And often what happens, I don't, I don't know in the specific case if this is true, but often what happens is people use cannabis to release dopamine. Dopamine is associated with higher levels of creativity. And I'll get into a little bit more detail on that, but just, it's an important distinction. Cannabis is, is not necessarily directly unlocking creativity. Dopamine Mm. is unlocking creativity, right? So right off the bat, we know where else can we get dopamine? Mm -hmm. Exercise, meditation, sunlight, uh, physical touch, uh, social connection, this sort of list of natural highs, um, nature. And so it's dopamine. People use cannabis to unlock dopamine. Dopamine helps them feel more creative. And we start to learn how to access our creativity that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's ritual building. It's, you know, um, we've trained ourselves and to me, it's almost like we're, we're, we're trapping our creativity inside of a box. And it's the box of 
I can only create when I'm high. Mm. And we're literally altering our system to make that true. So it's, we can't access creativity sober if we are using cannabis chronically. And then let's say, let's say I smoke cannabis every day or almost every day for six months. And then I take a day off and I try to paint and I'm like, well, I'm sober. I didn't smoke this morning. No, uh, 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 uh. that is not sobriety. And I think that's where people go wrong. A lot of the time, it's not, it's not sobriety. If we've taken 24 hours or 48 hours, yes, you're not currently under the influence of being intoxicated by the drug, but your body hasn't rebalanced its reward system. So your access to creativity is going to be diminished because you've created dependency through chronic use. Mm. And what happens when we, when we step away from that chronic use and we start to, to rebalance is we free ourselves from that trap. We get to actually learn how to access our creativity without the dependency of only being able to access it through the drug. And I recommend building ritual i recommend uh creating an environment around you that is conducive to creativity and i recommend accessing dopamine in other ways so so do the all the healthy things fitness you know exercise and and eat well to support dopamine production and, and just general health and it's it's that we're, you know, if you think about the creative state, we're creative when we feel good. We're creative when we, what that is, is elevated. A lot of it is elevated levels of dopamine circulating, mm-hmm. but it's also serotonin and oxytocin, and endorphin, like all that stuff just helps us feel better and have more energy. And that energy can be translated into a creative state. Now, if we look at it from a neuroscience perspective, there's been a lot of research on whether cannabis enhances creativity. Mm. And here's a summary of that. And quick shout out to Andrew Huberman, because he really did a good job of synthesizing all this information. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and that is uh, what I'm going to kind of paraphrase a lot here. But um, basically half half the studies out there show that cannabis does have the potential to enhance what's called divergent thinking, Mm -hmm. which is the type of creative thinking where you're basically brainstorming. Mm -hmm. You're basically um, throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks and divergent thinking is associated with a willingness to explore more novel ideas. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost like open-mindedness and there's half the studies show that yeah, cannabis might help enhance divergent thinking. The other half the studies say that it doesn't, it doesn't actually enhance the creative process because there's another type of thinking called convergent thinking. And that's where you take ideas and you synthesize them together. Mm. So, Creativity is not a state, it's a process. And it's a process of going from divergent to convergent thinking. So brainstorming and being open to novel ideas, and then 
synthesizing those ideas and putting them together. Both those things have to happen. And what the neuroscience, and yes, this is a very reductionist neurosciencey lens, but what the neuroscience points to is, is that the convergent thinking piece is not necessarily there. And so some of the studies say, no, cannabis does not help with creativity. Um, and that it might enhance divergent thinking, but it doesn't actually help with the full creativity process because you need convergent thinking as well. Now, going beyond that a little bit, I want to point out that creative is an adjective. Create is a verb. Okay, creative is an adjective. Create is a verb. And I think what a lot of people experience with cannabis is that it, it elevates dopamine and they might feel more creative. But where cannabis might help you feel that way, it does not tend to help people with the verb side of things, the actual follow through side of things, oh. the create side of things. So if I were talking to this artist, I would probably say that who you mentioned earlier, I would probably say, okay, great. So, okay, at the moment, you feel more creative when you smoke. Totally got that. That's totally valid. What's your dream for your business, right? And what's your dream for your painting? And most people who I talk to who are going through something like this, they're not feeling like they are where they want to be with their creative process. They're feeling like they haven't gotten their work out there or they're not doing it as often as they'd like to, or they're having trouble with consistency. So to any artist out there, I would just point out that cre actual creating is a verb and it requires follow through. And cannabis is well documented to, to deprive us of, to diminish focus, learning, memory, and motivation. Mm. And if you are suffering from a lack of focus, memory, learning, and motivation, the whole process of, of inventing yourself as an artist, getting your art out into the world, right? the sort of more business side of things or the more uh, executive functioning side of things, you're going to struggle with that. Mm. So, so you're, trapping, you're trapping your creativity in, inside of drug use, and it's robbing you of your follow-through. I don't consider that an enhancement of creativity at all. Mm. And what people start to realize is that if they can start to actually rewire and learn how to access their creativity without the drug, which you can, and if you commit to that process, and, and it, it, is, it is a process, does take time, but if you commit to that process, the rewards are tremendous because imagine if you could access your creativity with, without struggling so much with the follow through. Mm. Um, and so I'll go back to the natural highs because going back to uh, creativity, it, specifically divergent thinking is associated with high levels of dopamine. Convergent thinking, the synthesizing ideas is associated with lower levels of dopamine. And that's why the cannabis wasn't really helping people with convergent thinking. But mm. the other thing to pay attention to is that 
divergent thinking isn't just a linear graph with with dopamine uh there's a threshold so divergent thinking is associated with high levels of dopamine but not too high levels of dopamine there's a point where the dopamine can go up beyond a threshold and divergent thinking suffers from it divergent mm -hmm. thinking goes down so there's a sweet spot and if you're using drugs they have the potential to throw you up past mm -hmm. the sweet spot that makes and sense. if you're yeah and if you're going hiking and then the next day you're you you do your ritual and and you you get into your painting environment and you have elevated levels of dopamine because you went hiking the day before or, or you went hiking that morning mm -hmm. that will not put you up past the threshold mm -hmm. so it's it's more uh it's more reliable to activate your dopamine in service of creative thinking through the natural highs mm. that's yeah. that's amazing so many good points so <laughs> And I love that you initially started that conversation with pointing out that it, the creativity is coming from the enhancement of dopamine, not the cannabis. It's just, it's a paradigm shift that I think a lot of people need to start examining and understanding better so that they're not, they don't have such a limiting belief that it, it is the cannabis. No, it's the cannabis is enhancing the dopamine, which there are so many other ways to unlock. So if we were to summarize all the things that we talked about today, it's, it's sunlight, it's nature, it's being active movement exercise in conjunction with the sunlight and the nature. Mm -hmm. It's finding any of those ways that you can unlock the endogenous chemicals you already have inside your body that were designed to flourish in synergy with these activities that if you think go back to like our primal beings, right? Like we were mostly living outside or like 90% of our lives are spent inside when it was probably the reverse hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago, you know, we were moving around looking for food. Um, so maybe exercise back then was just the constant moving of moving your family, looking for food, gathering the berries, like doing all of the thing, going fishing, you know, all of the things that our primal beings would have would have normally done. A lot of people think that we're like so far removed from the biology of mm -hmm. humans hundreds of years ago or thousands of years. We're not, we are still completely wired the same. The problem mm -hmm. is our environment has changed so much. So we're just going back. We're going back to our most natural state when we take all of those things on. This has been so incredibly informative and educational, and I know that people are going to gain a ton of value from this. Um, I would love to know if you could share with people what, what do you have to offer? Like, what are the best ways to reach out to you? We shared your website um, and your Instagram and TikTok, and we'll put that stuff in the show notes. But are you working with people one-on-one? -on -one? Are you only doing the group? What's the name of the group? If you want to talk a little bit about that, um, I would just, I want people to know how to get get in touch with you. Awesome. Yes. So I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching in addition to the group coaching program okay. and uh, things do fill up. So if, if anybody's interested, you know, reach out sooner rather than later so that I can make sure to get you uh, in a, a spot as soon as possible. Um, 
the coaching that I do one-on-one is a, is what I call the natural highs one-on-one coaching program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we cover a lot of the themes uh, that I would say to sum them up have to do with holistic health and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So we address all areas of life and it's a lot more about starting a new path than stopping your addiction or whatever oh, the self-limiting pattern is. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's less about, of course, we're starting something new in service of leaving old patterns behind. So that's a, a big emphasis in my work. And we do, you know, we, we talk about flow state. So how to access flow state and how to access natural highs on a regular basis. And I teach meditation and breath work. And um, I teach goal setting practices and help clients establish vision. Mm-hmm. And um, and all that is possible in the one-on-one coaching container. And it's also similar themes that we work on in the group. The group is the inner ascent group coaching program. Mm-hmm. And none other than Kelly Miller herself is our nutritional therapist on staff mm-hmm. in that group. It's an eight week program. And we have me, Jake Yoder, doing coaching. Uh, so there's group coaching every week for six of the eight weeks of the program. And then one of those weeks is Kelly's amazing, amazing workshop on nutrition, which was a game changer. I had a lot of people tell me that that was one of the absolute most impactful parts of the program for them. And it changed the game for me too, by the way, I've revamped my supplements. My, my supplement game is, is like never before. On point. Um, Yeah. And so we have Kelly's work on nutrition, um, as part of that program. And then we have, uh, Zoe Gillis, who's an amazing therapist, and she does an incredible meditation and, and healing workshop around trauma mm-hmm. and how trauma relates to addiction. So we, we cover, again, a lot of holistic health and mindfulness practices to help support creating a life that you love in sobriety, being free from any dependency on substance highs, and learning how to master the natural reward system of the brain and body and access the natural highs on a regular basis and how to go towards our suffering, go towards our difficulties and our challenges rather than running away from them. So we, we work a lot with how to be with our suffering Mm -hmm. so that we can nurture it and Mm -hmm. heal rather than stuffing things down. Um, And basically you can find more information about all of this on my Instagram at natural highs recovery. And if you go to the very top left corner of my Instagram page, there's a post that says inner ascent at the top Mm -hmm. and it's pinned at the top left. And that post has a lot of the details of that program. And our next one probably is going to be March or April. Mm -hmm. Um, The group, the most recent group now, there's two groups running right now. They're both, they're both filled up. 
uh, yeah, and you can find more info on one-on-one -on -one coaching also on my Instagram. If you go to the client results story bubble, those little highlight story bubbles, yeah. um, and click on the client results, you'll see a little bit more about uh, what people have gotten out of the programs. And then if you're interested in exploring doing coaching, either one-on-one -on -one or group, what you can do is go to the link in my Instagram bio and book a completely free zero pressure call so that I can just listen to more of your story and listen to see if any of the programs that I offer might be super valuable for where you're at on your journey or not. And we'll just sort of explore together to see if it might be a good fit. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have read through a lot of the testimonials on there and they're just incredible. Um, thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you for providing this incredibly valuable service. We need so many more um, people doing this work. I think that like the aftercare uh, is there's a huge hole in aftercare for people that are coming in and out of treatment and people that maybe don't even need to go to treatment and are just looking for programs like this. Um, so I'm so glad that you're filling that space. I have one final question for you and then we will wrap it up. I would love to know Jake Yoder, what feeds you? Mm. Like what feeds my soul? Sure. Well, um, all the natural highs that we talked about for me, I get them from rock climbing, mountain biking, hiking, backpacking. Um, I'd love more than anything to be immersed in wilderness mm -hmm. if I can for an extended period of time. So if I can go somewhere and be in a wilderness environment, climbing and hiking for three days, four days or longer, um, that I would say feeds my soul more than just about anything else. Yeah. Perfect. You, you practice what you preach, Jake. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I will have all of Jake's information in the show notes, and I hope that you enjoyed uh, this amazing podcast episode with Jake Yoder of Natural Highs Recovery and founder of the Inner Ascent Coaching Group. And um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here, Jake. Thanks so much, Kevin. Hey friends, if you loved what you heard today, please consider sharing this episode with a friend, post it on your social media, give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening from today, or give us a review. This really helps us to reach more people and give them hope that they too can reach optimal health and recovery. And for sure, head over to the Addiction Nutritionist website to sign up for our newsletter and check out Recovery U at www.theaddictionnutritionist.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you feel inspired today to recover well. Quick disclaimer, Nikki and I are not medical professionals in any way, shape, or form, and nothing on this podcast constitutes medical advice. It is purely for educational purposes only. Please consult your personal team of health professionals before making any changes to your diet, supplements, medication, or lifestyle. Thanks for listening.